When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy. And here he is via the phone today, Dr. History. Dad, the roads were a little slick. You big chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, when I nearly ran into somebody stopped at a stoplight, I thought, you know, maybe I just better call in today. (laughs) Well, ladies and gentlemen, from high atop his palatial offices uh, in South Burley, here he is. Uh, Dr. Hiss, no, I don't, I don't blame you. The wind's blowing and I know the roads are slippery. I just talked to my dear friend, John Ellis. He said the same. So I'm glad that you're safe. And, uh, what are we going to talk about today? Well, you know, we've talked a lot about gold mines and cave-ins and things like that that happen in gold mines. But today we're going to talk about a coal mine. Oh. All right? Okay. So a lot of people don't think as much, I don't think, about coal mines in the Old West. So if you travel on Highway <clears throat> Highway 89 over there, oh, about three and a half miles north of Evanston, Wyoming, you've been over there. Many, many area. times. Yep, yep. Uh, so if you travel over there uh, a few miles out of Evanston, you'll see some black coal dumps, some remnants of some stone buildings, and a community uh, of several thousand inhabitants that have just vanished, <clears throat> uh, leaving behind uh, the only thing left over there is a small cemetery at this little town called Almy, Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of that little town. I have, yes. There now. Yes. That the first coal was removed from what was later to become mine number two in 1868, and Almy was on its way as more mines were opened, more people came to operate them, and uh, for Almy, Wyoming, mining became a big, huge business. And years later, by 1890, Almy reported reportedly had over 5,000 people living in that little area Mm -hmm. and a lot of different races, nationalities that came to work the coal mines. Uh, There were some permanent buildings, but uh, and some were actually pretty nice for that era, but others were just nothing more than tar paper shacks. Homes might be huts of railroad ties or 
holes dug in the ground covered with boards for roofs and uh, Zeb you've been over there in the wintertime I don't know that I'd want to live in a hole in the ground in the wintertime in Wyoming. Well let me ask you this Uh, I have not been actually right to the spot where this town was but I know where it is Uh, how much of the remnants of some of the more permanent fixtures and buildings are still there? Not hardly anything. In fact, about the only thing left is just the cemetery. Oh, my. There's, you can see markers. I've got a picture of a marker here that talks about a guy that was killed in 1895. And uh, so there's really not hardly anything left uh, uh, of, the, of the original town of Almy. I see. But, but, you know, these mines had everything bad that you could want. Fire, water, methane gas. This explosive dust, you know, the coal dust that gets mm-hmm. filters through there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had rock faults. Uh, a mine could explode, fill up with water, cave in, or catch fire, and almost instantly just have fire burning in there. And in 1881, uh, mine number two exploded and killed about 105 men. In 1885, mine number four exploded, killing another 30 men. So it, it was dangerous business. So... So, but we're going to talk about one of the mines. It's called Almy Mine Number Five. Okay, good old Chanel Number Five. <laughs> good old Number Five. So uh, they actually had a huge twenty-foot fan that was installed to pull fresh air into the lower parts of the mine. So that's a pretty good-sized fan, twenty feet. So the main shaft, <clears throat> the main shaft ran about eighteen hundred feet down. And then on each side of the mine, they would have what they call entries running to the right and to the left uh, of the main shaft, and they went down as far as 2,300 feet. So that's that's a long ways down. Oh, my. So with all these side shafts, it it covered, it was about 5,000 feet wide, and then, like, say, 2,300 feet down. But as Almy Mine Number 5 continued to get bigger and bigger, ventilation became pretty important. Uh, they had two what they call air courses, which are just kind of tunnels were cut when the mine was started, to, and then this big old 20-foot fan to try to get air down in there as far as they could. And actually, that was the most modern method of ventilating a mine uh, in that period of mining. But, uh, again, it, it's really compared to today's, you know, it was it was pretty primitive. But uh, so this then was Alameda Mine Number 5 on the morning of March 20th, 1895. Okay. Miners were sitting in the dark rooms relaxing and talking. Uh, blasting had filled the air with dust and gas, so much so that the percentage of methane gas and dust had reached the danger point. All work had to be stopped in order to allow the fan to clear the mine at 9.30 a.m., the work was resumed. So they did try to keep it safe, I guess, as much as possible. Um, anyway, so later that day, at about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, they were going to have a shift change. So at 4.50 p.m., miners assigned to the night shift began to gather. At 5 o'clock, 55 miners climbed into an empty string of mining cars, mm-hmm. and the cars began the slow descent down into this dark, dark mine. And can you just picture this, sitting in one of those coal cars, and you're headed down, and the light 
at the upper end of the tunnel, it gets smaller and smaller until there's, you don't see any light anymore. Well, let me ask you a question about that. Now, were these, uh, I want to be more definitive, did they go down into the mine on kind of a rail system, or was it kind of like uh, buckets on a pulley system that uh, went down? No, it was actually rail cars. I see. So they had a, a, a rail line I see. going down. I see. Yeah. So, but they had, you know, probably six or eight or ten coal cars hooked together, and these miners just jumped in the coal cars and made the trip down into the mine. I see. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. So now when they get when they got down in there, uh, some of the men would jump off at different spots, and at that point, they were greeted by these other miners that were finishing up the day shift, and they were had black faces. They were tired. You know, they just spent all day down in this dark mine with no ventil, well, very little ventilation. Uh, but the the men of the night shift they climbed out of the cars, and then these dog tired men that they were replacing they climbed into the coal cars mm-hmm. to begin the journey out of the mine. So the signal was given, and the string of cars began to carry its load of human cargo up the shaft uh, to the surface. And as you can imagine, after working all day, those guys, they didn't do much talking. They were too tired to talk. They had splitting headaches from the blasting powder and the explosion concussion of the blast. Oh, my goodness. They were nauseated from the exposure to the gas and the fumes. I mean, this was... (laughs) <laughs> this was dangerous uh, territory. I mean, I, I can't imagine how hard that must have been. So now it's about 535 as the men made their way down the hill. They'd gotten, come to the surface. They had gotten out of the coal cars. They were headed home. Uh, so, you know, they were relieved to finally be out of that dark, deep mine. Well, down in the mine, uh, the lights uh, bobbed in the darkness, striking the walls of the narrow passages, and frequently the dull thump of an explosion echoed as a seam of coal was blasted to pieces and loaded into cars. And again, this is all manual labor. Mm. So, you know, 55 miners ranging from in years from 18 to 55, but a lot of these guys were only young, just 20 to 30 years. Oh, my. And they labored with their shovels and their drills, and it was going to be a long night. And I have a feeling that, you know, coal miners didn't last a lot of years. I mean, no. if they got up to 50 years old, uh, you know, that was kind of rare. Absolutely. But it was quite a long walk uh, to the work, and it was progressing. They were 2,100 feet from the main shaft, well, so what they did was finally a hole was drilled, 
and uh, carefully cleaned of coal dust, a five-pound can of powder was opened, mm-hmm. and the black powder was poured into the hole, and then they tamped it in tight. A fuse was placed in the hole, and more powder added. Uh, plugging material tamped in tight around the top of the hole, so it formed an airtight seal, and the charge was ready to go. Oh, boy. Now, at that time, the miners ran into, evidently they had rooms, uh, you know, and not just tunnels, but they had actual kind of larger rooms. Well, these guys ran into this adjoining room as the fuse was lit, and it sputtered and spit and almost went out a few times, and the men waited patiently. Then suddenly at 5.45 p.m., March 20th, 1895, everything stopped. Uh-oh. There was an ear-splitting blast followed in 30 seconds by a second loud blast, followed in another 30 seconds by a dull kind of whump sound. Flame and dust shot out of the mouth of the main shaft. Oh, no. Top, uh, succeeded by a hail of timber and boards. The shock was felt nearly a mile away in all directions, and then they had a, a whistle that would start blowing, and that told the people up above that, there was a disaster. Oh, my goodness. That something had happened. So in the dusk, uh, you know, of the evening, the smoke and the dust, uh, it was just a cloud cover. And Almy number 5 was just barely visible through all this dust and smoke. And as the whistle continued, the wives and the mothers and the brothers and the relatives began to run towards the mine because they knew, you know, there was something bad that happened. Mm-hmm. But miners were being pulled to the surface in... Uh, the other mines, mines four and six, in case another explosion happened. But the men from the day shift, they turned back and ran back towards the mine. Their mine had one of the best safety records, but this explosion was a bad one. They could tell. It was a major catastrophe. Well, surface damage had been really bad. Windows in a stone boiler house were broken. Oh my. The lower part of the back of what they call the tipple housing had been blown out, and that part of the building had actually been split in half from the force of the blast. The covering that protected the mouth of the shaft from slides of rock and dirt was totally demolished. The stone housing for this big old 20-foot fan that I talked about had been reduced to nothing but a pile of just rubble. And the force had been so great of the explosion that wooden timbers used as bracing inside the main shaft had been blown through the sides of a railroad car over 150 feet away. Mining cars were virtually wiped off the tracks and blown to pieces, some cars lying as far as 70 feet away. So that's just the explosion that takes place outside the mine. Well, let me ask you this. You said uh, earlier, correct me if I'm wrong, they used a, what, five-gallon or five-pound, yeah. what was it? Uh, yeah, five-gallon can of, of uh, powder. Now, had they used that before? I mean, or was this the first time? Oh, no, no. It was a five-pound can, five can of powder, uh, and that was how they did it. That's... Uh, that's that was the method they used, but, but that's a lot of powders, Ed. Oh, amen, amen. <laughs> Five Ooh. pounds. Wow. Well, so the work parties were being organized uh, as the rubble was searched for anybody who might uh, be alive up on the surface. There were four men uh, that had been caught in the hail of the timber and the boards and from the shaft, and they died instantly. They just were dead. Uh, two other men were found dead. 
that neither man had a single mark on him. Oh, my. But they were killed by the concussion yeah. of the blast. So they had no marks on them. It was just the huge concussion that killed them. So right now we've got seven people dead, and that's up on the surface. That's not counting anybody down below. So anyway, the shack entrance was cleared of timber boards and other things, and people watched as the rescue party began the job of uh, searching, you know, for survivors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you got to imagine that the families, they were still hoping that somebody down below had survived uh, survived the blast. But uh, so... There were rooms, as I mentioned, and there was a room they called number 15. And as they got down there, there was unmistakable evidence of a powder explosion. And then a little further down, there was another room called room 20. And there they found another powder explosion. And by this time, hope that any survivors, it was fading. You know, the blast had been too, just too severe. Wow. Uh, they found three men were found in room 21. They began carrying them back to the main shaft, men, boys, uh, you know, and this is gruesome, Zeb, but, you know, burned almost beyond recognition from, you can imagine just the, the flame, the, the almost instant. Well, let me, let me ask you a question there, Doc. Uh, you know, you talk about going down into the mine to find out if there were any survivors. Uh, help me on this. I would imagine being that it's a coal mine and the coal dust and the thickness of the blackness of the dust, etc. They must have had to wait a long time to go down there, didn't they? Well, you know, I don't know how good the visibility would have been. I mean, they had their lamps, uh, you know, and, and they were familiar with with the mine itself. Yeah, but what about breathing? They could go, go down and, and know... I guess where to look. I yeah. Guess is what I'm thinking. Well, what about the breathing though? Did they have anything as far as any air respirators at that time in history or not? You know, I think there were respirators, and I, I should have checked that out. But uh, it doesn't in this particular article. It does not mention that they had respirators for the men going down to rescue. Oh my goodness! And, and so uh, it's a possibility they may have had some kind of emergency respirators. Okay. So, but I, but I don't know that. Wow. But you know, again, as they got down into these rooms, room number twenty-two and room twenty-three, more burned bodies. You know, it's just a, a pretty gruesome deal. Absolutely. Some victims were burned. Some were killed by flying debris, and just the concussion of the blast probably killed some others. And I, I guess you know some had probably died of suffocation, mm -hmm. but nobody escaped. The the bodies were brought up uh, one by one to the surface. The final toll was sixty two uh, people. Oh my, my! And the entire mine had been searched, and so they wondered, you know, just what caused the explosion. And the mine was operated and worked by the most modern methods of the day, with an excellent system of ventilation. Uh, officially the combination of the explosive gas with the fine particles of coal dust, and that was what was given credit for the, for the disaster. And actually they figured there had been actually two explosions, so I don't know if one caused the other or it, whatever, but, uh, and, and it was estimated that between 300 and 600 pounds of blasting powder had exploded. Oh my goodness. So, you know, they, like I said, they only had that, that five pounds that they were tamping into the hole, but they obviously had, uh, you know, three, three to six hundred pounds of blasting powder, uh, right there by them or, 
close to them that exploded as well. Mm. So, what a tragedy that was. My yeah. goodness. But, you know, they kept going in future operations. They had a, a good safety record. Uh, finally, in 1909, the main shaft caved in for probably 200 feet. The mine caught fire and burned out of control. And this pretty much marked the end of the Almy Mine Number 5. Wow. So, you know, again, we talked about gold mines, and I don't know if I've ever talked about coal mines, but uh, it was dangerous, dangerous work. I know over in uh, Wales, um, my great-grandfather worked in a coal mine in Wales, and, uh, you know, he left before he got black lung, uh, which, you know, a lot of the miners back on the East Coast, uh, Virginia, West Virginia, those places, you know, they develop black lung, which is, of course, a lung disease that eventually kills them. Well, I know a guy that just recently wrote a book that said uh, the title, Coal Miner to Cowboy. Uh, gee, I wonder who that was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and his great-grandfather, me, my great-grandfather was the one that worked in that coal mine. You know, how's the book doing? Tell us quickly, because uh, I've had some inquiries here at my home about your okay, book and where they can get it. I in yesterday, so they will be at Farmer's Corner, the Child's World, my nephew Travis's office, uh, the Declo Country Store, the Chamber of Commerce, uh, the uh, Mad Liver, Mad Liver, Mad River Laser, <laughs> uh, the Mad River Laser uh, over Rupert and the flower shop there on the square. So, isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting the humor that the tongue can employ? <laughs> well, I won't tell Mad Liver Razor that I said Mad Liver Razor. <laughs> no, your book is excellent, and the story was excellent. It's a sad story, but a uh, part of Wyoming history right next door to us. Yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, I thought that was a, an interesting, but like I say, a sad story of the death. And, you know, and there's probably a lot more that happened, too, yeah. that we... Uh, don't know about. Well, listen, I'm almost out of time, but I wanted to ask you, is uh, Mr. Schiebel, Flooster, Budweiser, whomever, has he been in contact with you? No, not since he, not since last week. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, tell Mr. Schiebel, Flooster, Budweiser that we said hello. <laughs> yeah, whatever. And uh, <laughs> hopefully you can hook up your dog sled and come out here next week. I hope so. All right. Take care, buddy. God bless.